Thank you very much. I invite your attention this morning to the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, If you don't have a Bible with you, you can find one in front of you. It's a blue, kind of navy blue Bible. You're welcome to use that. I don't have that page number offhand if someone wants to find that for us, but uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we are taking a break from our current series through who God is to talk about the resurrection today. And if you're visiting with us, we are so glad you are here. You could be many places on a snowy day. You could be at Snow Creek. Is Snow Creek still open in Weston? Uh, this might be a day they reopen. I don't know. But uh, it could be a lot of places. Thank you for joining us with uh, the study of the resurrection and what it is all about. And uh, if you are here today and you are a church member, I don't know about you. I've, I told some people I've kept records the last 10 years. I'm weird like this. Of, of Easter Sunday weather. And at least until 2006 in Kansas City, we have not had snow or rain. So I don't Has anyone ever else had a snow on Easter before? I think I talked to a couple of y'all. Okay, that's good. I guess that's good. We'll take it for what it is, right? But it's there. And so we're happy God is still king even when it's cold. Amen. And that is our God. As we get into our lesson today, we, we're talking about something that is uh, so, I don't know how else to say it. it. This makes or breaks, folks, Christianity, what we are getting ready to get into. This is either you believe this and are Christian or you don't believe this and you aren't Christian. And I can remember uh, almost, it's been almost 11 years ago now as a senior at William Jewell College, just up the road here, having to give a senior recital. Uh, it's a, it's a 30, 35-minute speech about a persuasive topic. And I, you know, you could do things about not smoking in public, about uh, why Missouri is the best team ever, the Royals weren't going to win a World Series at that time, you know, run the list, and uh, whatever it was. And I decided to do the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I had to go to the dean for this. This took approval of the highest level because it was such a controversial topic, and got to give the speech, and the speech could have gone better as any speech can go better. But I remember one guy coming up to me afterwards, a freshman. He said, you know, Darren, he said, I'm an agnostic. I, I believe it's possible what you're saying, but I'm not totally sure. And, but I, you're right. He said, look, if, if everything about Jesus' resurrection didn't happen, then why go to church? Why care? Why, why do things in the name of Christ? You're just another organization, another group out there. But he said, you know, he said, Darren, but if the resurrection is true, this is an agnostic the resurrection is true, then that means God is God. There is no other. That means God's son is Jesus Christ. That means the Bible is true. And he went on, and I remember him pausing in his mind's eye, and he said, that means Jesus must be the only way to salvation to heaven. And then he said, that means there's an afterlife. And he said, that means there's also a heaven, and there's also a hell. Boom. Bingo. I got two bad grades in college. One was the analysis of coaching basketball. Don't ever take that class. If you're a basketball person, that 500-question test sunk my GPA. I will tell you that. And the second worst grade I got because of the controversial topic mainly was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But to see that young man who was part of my uh, staff or part of my uh, hall at Eaton Hall there in William Jewell, freshman, just the light to go on, that if this is true, things must change, was priceless. It was absolutely priceless. A guy who is not priceless in what he said said this, and I'll go ahead and put this up there, Megan. Some people don't agree with this, though. A gentleman by the name Dr. John Shelby Spong said this. He said, If the resurrection of Jesus cannot be believed except by assenting to the fantastic descriptions included in the Gospels, then Christianity is doomed. We would agree with that. If the resurrection didn't happen, it's not true. But he goes on. 
For that view of the resurrection is not believable. And if that is all there is, then Christianity, which depends upon the truth and authenticity of Jesus' resurrection, also is not believable. That's right. But here's the hard part about this. John Shelby Spong has spent over 35 years, 35 years, trying to disprove the resurrection through a group called the Jesus Seminar. And he is a pastor, and he just got to the point in his life where he said, look, he said, I believe something happened back then, but it's just a big symbol. It's kind of like looking at McDonald's when you want that. I'm not a McDonald's fan. Is there any McDonald's fans in here today? I will pray for you, okay. I will pray for you. But it's kind of like looking at a McDonald's golden arches and saying, I want that, and being hungry and not actually getting that delicious, greasy burger that is McDonald's in your stomach and getting satisfied. That's what believing the resurrection, something happened, but it's not necessarily true what Shelby Spong here actually believes. Do you see the difference? Friends, we are here today because we have to realize that this thing, resurrection, isn't just something we do once a year, is it? This is a daily thing. If you're a Christian here today, this is what you live for every day. Your Lord lives. If you're not a Christian here today, we're so glad. This is why you must, like that freshman and John Shelby Small, come to the realization that if this didn't happen or if it did, my life should change either way of that coin. And that's what we're talking about today. And we're going to be looking at a passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians 15 where Paul's addressing a group of people that on one hand say they are Christian, but on the other hand, somehow they don't believe in the resurrection or at all. Is that possible? Can you do that? They, they just don't get to that point. So why would a person claim they are a Christian but not believe in the resurrection? It's kind of like saying you're McDonald's fans, but man, those golden archers are amazing, aren't they? But how do they taste? You probably get electrocuted if you try and bite those things, so don't try that, okay? But friends, this is not just a first century event. This is something that's happened all the time. We have individuals today who claim they are Christians on one hand and deny the central teachings of Christianity on the other. But how do we respond to this? If we're Christians, how do you respond to this? These types of folks who say this one thing, maybe that's where you are today. Do we just say, well, that's great for you. That's your truth. Or, or that's, that's wonderful. I'm glad you believe that, but I'm going to believe this. How do you respond to that? This is what Jesus said. Remember that old phrase, WWJD? What, what was it? What would Jesus do? The bracelets and all from 20 years ago. What do you do with this? This is what Jesus did before we get into our text. He said, in Mark 8, Jesus says to him, he says, Peter, who do people say that I am? Peter said, well, maybe you're a prophet or John the Baptist or, 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 or something like that. And then the biggest question came up that we have to answer in this life. Peter was asked the question by Jesus, but no, who do you, individually you, Peter, say that I am? And what did Peter say? He said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You are Christ, the Son of the living God. But Peter, a few verses later, got in trouble because that was good for him to say that. But Jesus went on to explain that we celebrate on Good Friday that Jesus said, look, I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to die at the hands of Romans. And do you know what Peter did? Peter pulled him aside like any good disciple would and said, Jesus, that's not going to happen to you. No, we'll never let that happen to you. And what did Jesus say? Church folks who've been around, he said, get behind me, Satan. Did he say, get behind me, because that's a different interpretation? No. 
Jesus had a singular truth of what his mission was. He didn't accept an alternative interpretation. And friends, that's my whole point today. The big idea, and what this big idea is, if you're visiting with us, it's just hopefully a a rifle shot focus of the sermon. The big idea is this, is that Jesus' resurrection, him coming back from the dead, literally, physically, bodily, is God's public signature on the check that says that all Christ said was true. And that is a deposit you can take to the bank, folks. That's a deposit you can take to the bank. Look, if everything you need is found in this resurrection, this affects not only your head, it affects your heart. This is the reason you wake up in the morning. This is the reason that you do what you do if you're a Christian. We lose sight sometimes of what's important in life, and the resurrection of Christ not only solidifies our salvation, but it also proves that everything we do, no matter how small, is worthy in God's sight when it's done in his name. Because Christ lives. Christ lives. So how does Paul do this? When we get into 1 Corinthians 15, how does he take these people who on one hand say, I believe something happened that day, but I don't know what it was, but I'm not sure it actually was a resurrection. What does he do with this? In these next following verses, Paul gives us three defenses to the resurrection. Three defenses. He's going to argue from authority that this resurrection happened. He's going to argue from evidence and argue from logic this resurrection is true. This resurrection is true. We do one thing at our church. If you're new to us, we stand for the reading of God's word. So if you're able this morning, stand with me as we honor the Lord's word. You'll stand up and we will read 18 verses this morning. Say, Darren, that's a lot. Yes, we're not going verse by verse. We're going to hit the themes. And I want you to think about that today. If the resurrection of Jesus actually happened, what does that mean for your life? If you're a Christian, if you're not, and if you're not a Christian here today, what should this do for you if you do not know this one Jesus Christ? Let's read in 1 Corinthians 15. Also be up on the screen as well. Paul says, Now I will remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, in which you received and in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he also appeared to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God, but, but verse 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. Verse 12, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith is in vain also. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ and whom he did not raise, if it is true, the dead are not raised. Verse 16, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. And those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And verse 19, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are all, most of all, the people to be pitied. 
and that is gospel truth. Let's pray as we go before the Lord today. Father, we pray this morning and thank you for your resurrection. Thank you that it is true. It is not just some symbol like the McDonald's sign. Father, that as that young freshman said many years ago, that if this is true, and it is, Lord, then it should radically change everything we are, everything we do, and how we do those things. From emotions to logic to truth, Father, in our lives, to how we raise our family, to how we do our job, to how we do everything changes because your son lives. Father, thank you for this truth. May you give us guidance. We love you so much. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. You know, this first point here, to understand authority, the first thing we're going to have to do is start with an illustration. I like giving the college illustrations, and if you've never gone to college, that's fine, but I think you'll get where we're headed with this. But imagine we, we are just talking here today, and we just have some small talk between us. And uh, I say, you know, I went, to, uh, I went to William Jewell, and you say, really, that's awesome. And you say, well, I say, you know, I didn't really get it like a degree, though, you know. I, and you say, Really? Well, what did you study? Well, study, that's, that's kind of a broad term. What do you mean by that? And I say, and you say, really? And you say, well, who was your favorite professor? Well, and, and you say, well, Darren, didn't you say you graduated from that college up there, at, but you don't have a degree? You don't have a major? You didn't take a class? And, and you, how does that work? And you say, well, I say, yeah, you know, it, it worked for me. Well, how does that work? I mean, I really like that place. It's really cool. It's got a lot of greenery and a lot of stuff like that. But you didn't graduate for that. Well, I really like the place. It's really nice. It's very pretty. Now, I hope you can chuckle at that, right? Because this is a silly example to explain this basic truth. Because all of us understand whether you went to whatever college or whatever school, even if it's just high school or trade school, that that school has the ability to give degrees to people. They don't just graduate people who think the place is cool and green, right? At least I hope not. That's scary because that means we have a lot of, it's just scary. We'll just say that. And we don't say that's a mean, mean place. Well, man, they, they just tried their hardest. They liked the greenery. The food was good, you know, and, and the track there was amazing, and the basketball team was great. Uh, you know, they didn't lose in the Elite Eight last night. They, you know, it was great. It was wonderful. No, we wouldn't do that. We wouldn't go around and say, why don't they let those people graduate who just like the place? That would be silly, isn't it? So how many have graduations coming up in the next couple months? A few of you all, good, that's good. Blake, our own, will be graduating here for a couple months from a medical school. Friends, that's what an argument from authority is all about. That the school has authority to say who gets the degree, so we also have the authority to say through the Bible what is truth and what is not. Paul is saying to these Corinthians, look, you are saying you're a Christian, but there's a small problem. You're like that person who says, I have a degree from whatever school it is, but there are certain things you must do and believe in order to be a Christian. And denying and not doing those things means you're not a Christian. That's an argument from authority. Does that make sense? What this means is, is that when you reject biblical authority, this is our first application point, when you reject biblical authority, you are seeking an equal relationship with God. You're claiming this is who you are, but you have not met the requirements to get there. It's like saying I'm a graduate of somewhere. You know, you've heard those stories before, right? Where someone says on their resume that they graduated or worked at such and such a place, 
And so many people are trusting these days, they don't check up on it. Uh, there was an athletic director several, uh, just a few years ago at a major college, he had lied that he got his doctorate from somewhere. I'm Dr. So-and-so from so-and-so. And they just happened to call that school to get some more information, to have a special surprise party for him. And they said, that guy never attended our school. Never even graduated from there. When you claim something as authority, make sure you have that authority. Friends, when Paul says here in verses 1 through 4, he says, I want to remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand and are being saved. In other words, this is an authority that God gave Paul. Paul isn't just mincing words. He's not just making it up. He's not speaking out of both sides of his mouth. He is standing firmly on the gospel that Christ has been raised. He has been raised. And if you are not believing this gospel, he says, if you're not believing what's being proclaimed, then you are not saved. Your belief is literally useless. That's why it says in verse 3, if you go down, he says, For I deliver to you as of first importance what I received. First importance. Parents, this is like those commands you give your children when you say, do this, and what do they end up doing most of the times? They do that, right? It is of first importance. What is of first importance? He's saying, here are things that cannot be left out. These are things that you must believe to be a Christian. He starts with that word, Christ. Friends, if you are wrong about Jesus, you are wrong about all of Christianity, aren't you? That's why we take such sensitive time here at our church to really talk about who Christ is. Because you can't be wrong about Jesus and be right about Christianity. I've used this quote before from Jared Wilson, one of our uh, guys at Seminary Midwestern. But here's just that quote again. Jesus is not your co-pilot. He is in the driver's seat, and you are in the back seat on a stretcher. I love that quote, because that is true. Because look, if you are in the driver's seat, and Jesus is in the back seat on a stretcher, man, you got the wrong Jesus, right? The Jesus that we're talking about today, that Paul is defending, that came back from the dead from authority, is the risen Lord. Let me give you another example, if this makes sense. Imagine, if you will, I have keys in my pocket to an amazing car outside. And boy, it's an amazing car. You're going to see it up there. It's an amazing car. And I'm feeling very generous. I'm going to give away this big, big, black, four-door Mercedes with all the fixings, all the wheels, all the gizmos for no reason at all. I'm just going to give you this, these keys, right? I'm just going to give you these keys. And you're going to take it out there. You're going to go outside, and you're going to go look at that big, Woo, man, this thing's like $60,000. Who wants this car? Want this car? Some hands go up. You know what? And you're going to go out there, and you're walking up to that black Mercedes, and all of a sudden, bam, a Dodge Charger comes swinging by with the racing stripes. And you take the keys I give you, and you attempt to use them in the Dodge Charger. And if you do that in some places, you're liable to get beat down or shot, but you might be okay here. And you try and put those keys from the Mercedes into the charger. And friends, what is going to happen? Nothing, right? You take the key and I give that to you. It's not going to happen. Friends, it's the same deal. When Jesus is who he says he is, it's not okay to say, I like him more like this. Let me try and shape the key a different way. Christ is either the resurrected Lord, Paul says, or he is nothing. He's either the risen Savior or he is nothing. We don't get a Golden Corral, Pizza Street-style buffet to Jesus Christ, right? You take him as he is, or the key doesn't work. Look back at verse 3. I just want to go through this quickly. It says, Christ died. Christ died. Friends, that is so important. 
Christ didn't have someone else stand in his place, as some argue. Christ didn't have a twin. That's a recent theory. It's called the twin theory. People say that Jesus had a twin and someone else died, and that's how they prove Jesus came back from the dead. Are you kidding me? What twin would do that anyway? But who, who would think of these things? Friends, we believe in the substitutionary atonement of Christ. Those are big words, but they're important words. And you say, Darren, those are big words. So don't use such big words. It's kind of like a foot, going up to a football coach and saying, you know, coach, why do we call them guards and tackles and centers and everything else? Can't we just use different language? Well, you know, say that, that big guy over there right to that not so big guy over there. We don't do that. We, what we mean is that he has paid the price. He has substituted. He's paid someone else's price. He's paid the penalty. He's taken your place and he's satisfied God's wrath for you. That is the risen Lord. And that's the second application point, is this, is that Jesus is the only one who says, I am God and I am coming to you. If you're here today and you say, man, I have tried and tried this religion thing, it hasn't worked, friends, let me tell you that the God of the Bible is not far from each one of us. Acts 17 tells us that. But what we need to know is that he not only died, he was buried, and he rose again. And if you look at verses 3 and 4, there's a phrase in there used over and over. What is that phrase? According to the Scriptures. Paul's writing from authority of the Scriptures of the Bible that this is a true thing, that this is a true thing. Look, if you're claiming on one hand that this is what you are, then you have to be held accountable for what those requirements are. If you're here today and say, Darren, it's a great idea that Jesus came back from the dead. That's encouraging. That helps me live a moral life, and I'm not sure it actually happened. Friend, then you need to listen to the next couple points. Let's go to point number two. Point number two. Look back at verses five through eight. Paul says this. He says, he appeared, and that he, that's Christ, appeared to Peter, or Cephas, and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. It means they've passed their dead. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. It's incredible. I mean, think about this. It's incredible. Jesus dies, he's buried, and he is resurrected. We saw in the first point, Paul's arguing from authority. Paul has seen the risen Lord, and we'll get into that in a second. Now he's going to the evidence. He's saying, look, guys, this is absolutely incredible. 500 people, 12 people, myself, Peter, has seen this. And if you're sharp, and you are sharp individuals, right? Amen? So you aren't so sure about that, but we'll get there. You can see that Jesus appeared to the 12. And when you talk about the 12, who are these people? Guys, these are the people who... Days, hours after Christ was crucified, were holed up in the upper room or some place, scared for their lives because Jesus was dead. The one they put all their hope and promise in, and this is why you can be so disappointed by, not, by trusting in people all the time and not Christ. They were so disappointed that they had not really seen Christ for who he was, and they were scared to death, and all of a sudden... The women go to the tomb in Mark 16, and they see, this, they see something, and the angel says, he's not here, he's risen, and they go back and tell him, and they say, you're just crazy. You're crazy. That would never happen. And then Jesus appears to the, the, the disciples in the upper room, and then Thomas wasn't there, and Thomas says, I won't believe unless you show me the marks here and the marks there, and Jesus shows up to Thomas. He says, you want to put your hand in my side? 
put your hand in my nails? And he said, my Lord and my God. Friends, there's ample evidence here. Ample evidence. Can I just say a historical note? Ladies, we love you, and please don't take this as a knock. But in the first century, the time of Jesus, I think many of you know women were not much better than property. I, I think you know that. For the gospel writers to say that the women were the first to the tomb was either going to be the death coffin nail on Christianity, or they are reporting what they saw. Friends, it was ludicrous to say that a woman saw something in the first century. Ladies, we love you, but back then, your, your testimony wasn't much better than the animals that were around. I'm just being honest. It really wasn't. But yet Paul says here, he's appeared to 500 brothers and make that sisters as well. Someone has once said, well, you know, wasn't this just a big hallucination? I mean, Darren, come on. I mean, did they pass around the pipe back then? Guys, there are theories out there called the hallucination theory. They say that basically a, a legal drug today was passed around to 500 people. They all had this euphoric experience all of a sudden. And then, by the way, uh, they, they just all hallucinated and saw the same hallucination. I don't know about you, but I have not had the same dream with many people. You know, sometimes you're falling in the sky. Sometimes you're hitting the home run in the World Series, I, whatever it is. You don't usually have the same dreams. Friends, that's the first point I want you to get across. The most historical fact in all of history is that Jesus came back from the dead. That is the truth. There's nothing more, period, not a zip, zilch. If you do the math, 500 plus 12 plus probably others that aren't being accounted for. Remember that drug that was supposedly passed around? I mean, think about this. The woman see him, not there at the tomb. The, the two disciples didn't see him. They just all suddenly passed around this peace pipe. And this peace pipe supposedly made them see Jesus. Friends, is that not crazy? Do you know who believes that theory? The gentleman I spoke with at the front, John, John Shelby Spong, believes that theory. That just out of the blue, all these people happen to see the same thing by smoking some old drug. Wow. But wait, think about this. So that means every time the women went first and saw Jesus, and then the disciples, and then Thomas wasn't there, every time they came together, they had to restart the hallucination experience. Do you see the lack of evidence here? Friends, we have to trust that this is the truth of where God is. If they had hallucinated, there would still be a body in the tomb. You know what the funny thing is? The Romans and Jews could have put it all to an end. We could have stopped Christianity 2,000 years ago by simply producing a body. You know, some would say, well, maybe, maybe they paid off the guards. Friends, these are Roman guards. I am not a big man. I think I've joked about that enough at this church. I am not a big man. But I do not trust 12 fishermen disciples to take on five to ten Roman guards who are trained like Navy SEALs are today. Maybe it could happen, but the, the reality is it didn't happen at all. And friends, this is the second point. This is the great thing, because God uses small, weak people to bring about the glory for his name. There's so many theories out there today. Friends, where is the body? Why wasn't it produced a day after it happened? Was it a hallucination? Where did they get the money to buy all those illegal drugs? I mean, just think about all these things out there. The conclusion that Paul comes to is simply this. 
is that Christ is risen in church. He is what? He's risen indeed. It's kind of like the fish story. You see, you know, some of you have these stories at home, uh, the, like this image you'll see on the screen here. It's kind of like this, the man who comes home from fishing and says, honey, I caught a world record 20-pound fish, a bluegill, whatever it was. And she says, just a minute. And like any good wife, what does she do? She goes to her pantry, and she brings out the scale. And what does the husband do? He starts sweating bullets, and the wife says, well, you know, uh, the husband says, well, you know, it might not be 20 pounds after all, but I think it's at least 17. Fish stories grow like that, don't they? Some would say, well, didn't this Jesus thing just grow out of people getting excited? Friends, I want you to think about this. Why would 12 guys who were shored up in the hole of something, prayerful for the lies, go and give their lives for a lie? Do people give things for a lie all the time? Yes. Friends, that's called radical Islam. That happened in Brussels this last week. Please pray for Brussels. But these guys had seen something. They knew someone, and their lives radically changed. Are you here today? Have you been radically changed by the grace of God in Jesus Christ through his resurrected son? Paul says, look, I'm arguing from evidence that people have seen this, and it wasn't a hallucination. Let's go to the last point here. We've seen that Paul has said there's no resurrection. There's no resurrection. There are only seven things are going to happen here. And what I'm going to do over the next two slides, I'm going to give you seven things that Paul says that the resurrection didn't happen are going to be reality. But then we're going to get into the good stuff. As a Christian, if you are a Christian, what happens if the resurrection is true? But Paul, just one argument, number one, he proved Christ was raised from the dead. He's giving you eyewitness testimony. Over 600 eyewitnesses probably saw this resurrected Christ in a period of 50 days. We have numerous eyewitness accounts that Jesus actually died on the cross. Please pray for your Muslim friends, but the Muslims believe that Jesus was replaced. Or Let me say it this way. The Muslims believe that Jesus was in a tomb, the cold tomb. Where's my wife? Is my wife in here? My wife, Natalie, she's always here. She's a nurse. I've not talked to her about this, but you medical people, can you imagine? Muslims believe that Jesus was laid into the tomb 98.9% dead, and that the coolness of the tomb woke him up. And that he had the power, after being on a cross, beaten, stabbed, everything else, to take off the tightly wound uh, uh, wraps, grave clothes, and all of a sudden get up, walk out, and somehow, somehow, and this is the amazing part, somehow push a hundreds of pounds, maybe even a, a stone up to a ton away by himself to prove that he was the Christ. Sometimes the evidence leads you to go the different way because you don't want to show up to accept the evidence how it is. Is that not right? Friends, if the resurrection didn't happen, then these things are true, but these are not true. But I want to show what happens if the resurrection is not true. First is this, verse 13. We can just walk down the line here. If the resurrection is not true, then Christ has not been raised. Christ has not been raised. Paul says there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Second, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, our preaching is in vain. Save 35 to 40 minutes a week of listening to my sermons, Matt's sermons, Blake's sermons. Because why try? Verse 14, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. It's useless. It's nothing. Why try? Go home. Third, if the resurrection is not true, verse 14, 
then your faith is in vain. Take off the cross in your earrings. Take off the cross from your necklace. Take off the cross from the back. Just throw it away. It's worthless. If there's no resurrection, what are you believing in? If there's no resurrection, you have no faith. If there's no resurrection, then you have nothing to hope in after you die in this life. Number four, if Christ has not been raised and there's no such thing as a resurrection, our Christ is in vain, our preaching is vain, and everyone who preaches Christ, according to verse 15, is to be found misrepresenting God as a liar. Think about that. Paul says, we have even been found in verse 15 to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, whom he did not raise, if it's true, that the dead are not raised. Look, Christians, this is our anchor of everything that we do. If the resurrection is not true, then we have nothing. Number five, if Christ has not been raised, then we have no atoning sacrifice for our sin. You are still in your sin. Look at verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. All of us have lost someone, maybe in this last year. You know what the resurrection provides? If the resurrection isn't true, number six, you have no hope for those who pass on. That's a scary thought. It's a very scary thought. And lastly, he says in verse 18, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And then lastly, if there's no resurrection, there's no resurrection at all. Those who believe in the resurrection are the most idiotic people in the world. It's a stark reality, isn't it? It's a very stark reality. I told you Paul won argument number one. He already demonstrated Christ had been raised, which means we can flip the script, friends, because this is not true. Are you ready for the good news? Say amen. Let's get to the good news. Friends, here's the good news, because the resurrection is true. If there is a resurrection, Christ has been raised. If there is a resurrection, he is no longer dead. He is alive. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. He is interceding, praying for you right now. We don't need to mourn him because he is risen with all power in his hands. Nothing can stop him. He is coming again. Number two. If Christ is raised from the dead, and he is, then our preaching is the power of God unto salvation. Friends, this is why, as pastor, I do not have to, I, I do not have to give a business sale five-point marketing strategy for the preaching of the word. We need to be good at what we do. We need to be good and solid and always learning and growing. But friends, it is the power of God's Holy Spirit through the preaching of the word of God that changes hearts. That is what it is. Last night, I, I've had this kick in the last few days of the Crusades. I don't know why. I, I love history. I've been watching the Crusades and are just things about the Crusades. You know, the, uh, the Pope back then said, if you kill infidels, you will go to heaven. Or if you do this and do that, you will go to heaven. Friends, it was not killing infidels, whatever that may mean, that took people to heaven. It is the foolishness of preaching God's word. Christian, if you're saved here today, you aren't saved because someone shared the gospel better with you than the last person. You are saved here today because Christ is risen and through the power of the Holy Spirit, he's changed your heart. Amen? That is the truth. Friends, what great encouragement. Number three, if the resurrection is true, your faith is not in vain. Your faith isn't in vain. There's a reason to live. There's a reason to go to work on a cold, snowy day. There's a reason to have hope in the one who raised Christ from the dead. The resurrection of Christ is your hope. It is your hope. Number four, we are not liars, but we now become truth tellers. Truth tellers. 
Friends, if anyone ever says to you that Christianity thing is hogwash, it's dumb, it's for people who need a crutch in their life, they have not looked at the evidence for who is out there with Jesus Christ. If you are a Christian here today, be super excited in your heart, your mind, your feelings that you have the truth and what an amazing thing that is. But even greater than that, number five, you are not in your sins, Christian. Aren't you grateful for that? Aren't you grateful that because Christ rose again, you have been washed You've been cleansed. You've been made whole. Your price has been paid. There's been a substitute for you. And as that, I can stand before Almighty God, not because of me, but nothing but because of the blood of Jesus Christ. That is the truth. And number six, those who perish in Christ are not dead like dogs. If you have lost someone who knows Jesus, then friends, we have full confidence because Christ rose that you will see them again. Getting excited because it's so exciting. And you know what? Number seven, I don't think I said this right on the slide, but I'm not pathetic. You may think I am in some ways, and I probably am. You're not pathetic either. Because someday when they say Darren Smith has dead, is dead and gone, don't believe that for a moment. Number seven, because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Don't think that it's as good as it gets here on this earth. Don't think, because we know better. As Christians, we believe that because the things I yearn for and ache for in this life will never be satisfied by this life, because Christ is resurrected, I can now have hope eternal that I will spend it with him. Christian, you are not pathetic. You are created in God's image, and don't let the world tell you you have to shape a certain shape or things, and yes, be healthy, yes, do your body to the glory of God. But if you don't have whatever it looks like or someone else has, trust that God has put you there for who he has put you there to be. But know that you are not pathetic because Christ has resurrected. And your identity is not in yourself or what you are, but in what he has done in his son. If you are here today, don't pity me on that day when I die. Pity the person who on one hand says, I believe that Christ is Lord and he resurrected, but... I don't believe that he actually came back from the dead. Pity that person, like Paul says in verse 19. Friends, that is what's pathetic and pitiful, is the one who says, I believe in Jesus, I just don't want the resurrection. It's kind of like Judge Judy. Do you like Judge Judy? Any Judge Judy fans? <laughs> I only put her up there because she's a recognized face. Judge Judy and I would not agree on most things. Let's just say that. But one thing that Judge Judy does well is that she starts a case with two people who are opposites of each other. And they have to sign a contract. I don't know if you know that. They have to sign a contract before saying they won't countersue each other, that this is it. They, you know, they actually hire people, as an aside, to find these cases to take them out of the courts so they can get them on TV and make money. I don't know if you knew that or not. But they are not allowed legally after that signature to sue in the federal or, or normal courts. But she takes people that are at odds at each other, and eventually Judge Judy, whether she's right or wrong from our perspective, does something very well. She gets that look on her face. And if you've watched her at 4 o'clock on Fox 4 for the last 16, 17 years, you know that look. That is her look. She, those eyebrows start going up, and she gets her arms crossed, and she asks Bird, is that his name, the guard Bird? I think that, Bird, is that his name? Bird? Some of you guys know this stuff. Daytime TV watchers, is that his name? And you don't know. I don't know either. He asks him, is that right? And he says, yeah. And then her eyebrows go up again. 
And one thing you can't get past Judge Judy is she slams down that gavel and she walks out as soon as it's over. No questions asked. And they interview him out there and, and they're like, well, I don't agree with her. But at the end of the day, they are bound to that contract that says, whatever she says is true, whatever she says is right. And that's it. Folks here today, that's exactly what Jesus has done in the resurrection. He has said that he is the truth, he is the judge, he is the one, the only one who can make that final decision. Look, Judge Judy's going to stand before God someday just like you and me will. The question is, is do you believe what Romans 10.9 says? How do you become a Christian? It says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I had a person come up to me one time and ask that question, you know, can we believe that Jesus is Lord and not believe he came back from the dead and be a Christian? Friends, the, question, the answer to that is unequivocally, what? No. You were saved because Christ came back from the dead. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. That is the message of Christianity. This is not just some philosophy. This is not just some wishful thinking. The same resurrection that was experienced by those disciples 2,000 Easter's ago is the same one that we celebrate today. And many of you have this insert in your bulletin right here. And I just want you to go home and read over this, some food to take with you. You say, Darren, that's great. Uh, you know, it's great evidence. That's great whatever. Friends, I want you to read all the practical benefits. And this is just, boy, this is just nine practical benefits that Christ does for you in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He walked out of the tomb so you can walk into life eternal. You'll be invited to one funeral you'll want to attend. What is that funeral? It's the funeral of death. Because, friends, if you're a Christian, the greatest hope is not now, it's later. I would encourage you to read this over. But, friends, one thing as you go today is if you're a Christian here today, celebrate with your family. Easter eggs, sure, have fun. But remember this day, and every Sunday, every day is about who? It's about Christ and being risen. That is our hope. If you're not a Christian here today, we'll be at the door. We'd love to talk with you about what it means to know Christ. Let's go before the Lord and pray today as we go forward. Father, a different sermon today as we talk about a little more.